0: Welcome to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mary Ashen. Thank you for spending part of your day with us in this audio format. The B'nai B'rith International Podcast is a space we've been utilizing to hold frank and interesting conversations with experts on our staff. In just a moment, we'll be speaking with our new Assistant Director of Aging Policy for the B'nai B'rith International Center for Senior Services. But before we get there, be sure to visit our website, b'nai B'rith.org, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. And of course, the easiest way to get the latest episode is to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play on your smartphone. Simply open up your podcasting application on your iPhone or the Google Play Store on your Android. Search B'nai International, and then hit subscribe. That way, every time we release a new episode, it will be downloaded straight to your phone. Joining me today is my colleague, Evan Carman. Evan is new on staff at B'nai B'rith and will be dealing with a number of legislative issues revolving around aging and senior citizens. Evan comes to us from his most recent position at the Office of Presidential Correspondence for the Obama White House. Evan has also uh, had experience working for a New York City council member and was an intern for Congressman Gary Ackerman. Evan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Well, we're going to talk about Social Security today, something that affects all Americans, sooner or later. Yep. And it's a subject that uh, Ben has uh, a great deal of interest in because of our program, Defending the Rights of Seniors. But even though the program has been around since 1935, uh, people always have questions about it. So maybe we should go back to the beginning and ask the question, why was the pre- the program created and why is it so important? Sure. It was created in 1935
1: as a response to the great depression during that time during that time period President Roosevelt felt that we needed to create a baseline of, the, of the income for seniors and the Social Security Act was signed in 1935 to ensure people who are going to be transitioning from employment to more of a retiree status would have a certain amount of uh, income come into their you know homes every single every single you know month and what this policy has done it has pretty much brought our seniors out from out of potentially being in poverty into not being in poverty for example presently the senior population in poverty is 10 percent but for Social Security it would be 45 45 percent 20 million people would be in poverty today but for the social security system. And about one third of seniors rely on social security for ninety percent of their income.
0: So altogether, how many million Americans right now would be covered by social security?
1: Fifty four million. And I think and I think that the name social security really says a lot. Because I think that the last I think that the last word security really talks about the intent of the, you know of the policy. We want to make sure our seniors have the financial security to pay, you know, a mortgage, pay for food, pay for transportation,
0: pay for health care costs, et cetera, et cetera. Now, benefits vary. So what what's the average benefit? Sure.
1: The average benefit is $16,000 a year.
0: Like given the large amount of people who, who do benefit from the Social Security program, we're talking about 54 million people covered. Uh, how does the government actually finance the benefits that people receive?
1: Sure. So the government has something called the Federal Insurance Contributions Act, which I think is better known amongst everybody as the FICA tax. And what the FICA tax does is employers and employee, employees individually pay 6, 6.2% of their, their wages into this particular tax. And self-employed people pay 12.4% that particular source of revenue is put into something which is known as the Social Security Trust Fund. Every year the FICA tax taxes people's their salary up to $127,000 a year. Once you've been taxed up to $127,000 in 2017, for example, that stops. So dollars earned above $127,000 a year are not subject to the FICA tax and that and that changes every year.
0: Does the government receive enough financing through the FICA tax to ensure that that all beneficiaries receive their benefits I and mean, we're talking about a lot of people? Here.
1: Sure. That is a really really interesting question to ask. From 1984 to 2009, the government took in more in revenue from the FICA tax than it was actually spending, which I think might come as a surprise to a lot of a lot of people. The excess funds the government got between between 1984 and 2009 were invested in U.S. Treasury securities. That particular funds, the United States government makes income off the U.S. Treasury securities, which is backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. Consequently, we've built up a trust fund. So despite the fact that in 2010, we were... Paying more in benefits than we were taking in in taxes, because we built up a trust fund, and because we've made income off the trust fund, we're able to substitute the income we're not getting for taxes, and people are still are able to get their benefits 100 percent on time and one hundred percent the benefits they should they should be getting.
0: Go back to nineteen eighty four to two thousand nine. Why those twenty five years? The program's been in place since nineteen thirty five. What was it in in that period? That caused uh, the uh, the fund to be in effect. Uh, sure, in overfunded na- in
1: 1984. Well funded <laughs> in 1984, there was a bill that was signed. It changed the way that we taxed people, and also changed the age, so the government was able to take in more funding, which you know worked out great because the excess funding we got contributed to 10 percent of the. Social Security trust fund, so the income we get from these securities and that particular income has contributed to ten percent of the social security, social security the social Security trust fund, which today allows us to pay people their benefits despite the fact we 're not taking in as much in taxes as we 're giving out in
0: benefits now let 's talk about the trust fund dollars sure. survivability of the program. Uh, what is the trust fund worth? i mean I, I know when we, when we hear the numbers. Uh, They're staggering to us. But the question is whether those numbers can can cover the the obligation.
1: Sure. The trust fund presently is worth $2.8 trillion. And just to think about it from a larger sense, since 1935 when the Social Security Act was enacted, we've given out about $16 trillion in benefits to seniors and also other people as well, but I guess for the purpose of this podcast, seniors. We've taken in $19 trillion in taxes. The system's actually taken in more in taxes than, we've, than we have spent. So the system works fantastic. Since 2010, though, as we previously talked about, the system has not taken in as much in taxes as, as, as it has spent in benefits. So we've been able to supplement that through the income from the U.S. Treasury-backed securities we have invested in. The system will peak in two thousand and twenty that 's when we 'll have the most amount of funding in the trust fund about two point nine trillion and from two thousand and twenty to two thousand and thirty four we 're going to have to spend we 're going to have to redeem the u s treasury's securities to meet all of our financial obligations to seniors and then in two thousand and thirty four unfortunately we will only be able to pay 79% of our uh, of of our obligations to seniors.
0: And then what happens?
1: Well, excellent question. In is
0: it a question of you you're running out of money but we're not going to 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 drop the program. So sure. what are we looking at in terms of making up the the 21%? Sure. So
1: experts have done a 75 year projection between now and 2090 to figure out how much the shortfall is going to be. And it basically goes from around 79% to 74%. So in 2090, we'd be able to meet 74% of our obligations. And I think that's a really important figure to look at. And the reason why I think it is, is because I think people hear a lot that the system's going broke. And I think that the idea that the system's going broke brings up the idea that, well, there are zero dollars in the trust fund. That's not true at all. Even in 2000, even in 2090, experts predict we'd be able to meet 74% of our obligations. So the question then becomes, how do we bring it from 74% to 100%? And there are definitely several different ideas. One idea, and I'm sure you know, people have definitely heard of this one before, is to privatize socials. The, is to privatize the social security system, or at least partially privatize it. And, what that, and I guess what that means is people want to invest the money in the stock market. And I don't think that's really the best plan possible. If we recall in 2008, the stock market hit a crash. And I guess as we previously talked about, the purpose of the social security system is to ensure that there's a guaranteed benefit. People can 100% rely on this particular source of funding coming in every single every single month, and it's just not the best policy for a guaranteed benefit to tie that up in the stock market. For example, in, 2000, in 2008, America's private pensions plans and 401ks lost 30 lost 30% of their worth in the stock in this, in the stock market. Another idea is to raise the retirement age. Some people have talked about raising that between between the ages of 67 to 69. But that's unfortunately unfair to people who work labor-intensive jobs. Somebody who maybe drives a truck, somebody who works construction, somebody who works that type of employment, to, to tell that person they need to work from 67 to 69, despite the fact they've been paying into the system isn't really the most fair way to go about it. So I think the best way to go about this and probably the most productive way is to raise the cap. As we previously talked about in 2017, the cap on taxable Social Security benefits is $127,000. There are several ways ways to raise the cap. One way that we can raise the cap is just simply say we're not going to have a cap. So every dollar that somebody earns is therefore going to be subject to the social social security tax in the payroll tax. Another way to do it, a way that might get more people's support, is to have something called a donut hole. So all funding, let's say between $127,000 and $300,000 would not be taxed. Every dollar you earn above $300,000 is th- is then taxed. And we feel that's probably the best way to go about it is to do something with the payroll tax. So therefore, we'd be able to increase the amount of the funding that the Social Security Trust Fund gets. Another way, I guess, to look at it as well, in the 1980s, we were taxing around 90% of funding people got through pay. That particular that particular that particular number has therefore dropped to about eighty three percent so we're not taxing the overall pool at the same percentage we were taxing beforehand
0: uh, and what about people talk about a consumer price index for the elderly sure uh, how would that work
1: so the way that the cost of living adjustment works now for seniors when it comes to social security it's based off something called CPIW which factors in the average spending habits of urban and clerical workers. There's something called a basket of goods, what those people spend every month on goods. The problem is is that seniors spend their funding on different types of uh, items. So we believe a CPIE, CPI elderly, would be a better way to go about it. This type of index would focus on the spending habits of seniors. For example, healthcare costs—something that a senior would have to focus on—and maybe somebody in their 30s and 40s would not have to focus on as as much. The healthcare costs rise for seniors much, much more greater than it would for somebody in their 30s or 40s. So, we believe this type of index accurately, more accurately, reflects the spending patterns for seniors.
0: Now, I've got two questions as sure. we before we close that uh, you hear often, you read about it, people talk about it in the media. Uh, is Social Security a main driver of the deficit? And <laughs> and, and the other question is, um, is Congress kind of raiding the Social Security fund to pay for its other obligations? Hear it all the time, and you say
1: no on both on both questions. The Social Security system is not allowed to pay for Its benefits through any other source of revenue outside of the Social Security tax and the money that's already in the trust fund, so it has not contributed a penny to the deficit because it is a self-funding federal program. As we previously talked about, the trust fund presently has a 2.8 trillion dollar surplus. So, if there's a surplus, it's not it's not contributing at all to the deficit. And the idea that Congress is somehow raiding the trust fund also I don't think is fair. Under under the law, the trust fund has to invest the money in U.S.-backed treasury securities. So because we're investing that in U.S.-backed treasury securities, it's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. So when we redeem it, that particular bond or that particular security – The government's going to pay its obligation. Consequently, it's not that the funds are sitting in a separate pool and they could theoretically just sit there if they wanted to. The law says they have to be invested. So Congress in no way is somehow raiding the pool. It's actually worked out well because 10% of the Social Security Trust Fund comes from the money we get, income, from the the U.S.-backed Treasury securities.
0: Well, on that more encouraging note, (laughs) that's about all the time we have uh, today for this discussion. I'm sure we'll come back to talk about uh, this subject and and other issues affecting our aging population uh, in this country again. Evan, thanks so much. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for the B'nai International Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it just as much as we have. Again, a reminder, please visit our website, b'nai Like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on your smartphone through the podcast app for iPhone or through Google Play for Android. And lastly, tell a friend if you like what you've heard. For my colleague Evan Carman, I'm Dan Mary Ashen. We'll talk to you next time on the B'nai International Podcast.